Welcome to the Sand Hills Media Ministry. We hope this production encourages and challenges you to live a more Christ-centered life. Uh, so good. All right. Um, well, today we're going to be in First uh, Samuel again. If you have your Bible, Sandy, open up to First Samuel chapter twenty-five. First Samuel twenty-five. Now, no surprise, of course, that First Samuel twenty-five comes on the heels of First Samuel twenty-four. And uh, in chapter twenty-four, what we saw was David is on the run. And so David had hidden out in a cave, and uh, Saul came in and uh, left himself exposed. And um, David had the opportunity uh, to take out his enemy, but he did not. And his language was uh, something like, I will not lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. And literally meaning anointed, that uh, Saul had been chosen by God through the prophet and high priest Samuel to be anointed to be the first monarch in all of Israel. And um, But... Through a series of circumstances, he has come to hate, hate, hate David. And he wants David dead. And so he's pursuing him to kill him. Uh, and uh, last chapter was all about how David would not take advantage uh, to bring vengeance upon his enemy. He's trusting the Lord. And then we culminated last week with a, a peek at the um, New Testament teaching of Christ in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, where we learn to turn the other cheek when it comes to those who are trying to take advantage of us. Um, Anyway, this week is going to be uh, a lesson that's in the same vein, but a different, different thing going on here. So 1 Samuel chapter 25, just turn there. But let me ask you this question as we get going. What do you do when somebody deserves the wrath of God and you intend to bring it? Like, what do you, well, like you got this person, like we live in a fallen world, broken world. All of us are surrounded by evil people, but sometimes those evil people end up in your orbit and you want judgment to come on them harshly and you're willing to contribute, right? So that's what today is going to be about. We're going to see David wrestle through that and then we'll talk about how we can wrestle through it. And the theme today is anger redeemed and anger restrained. That's what we're going to be seeing as we read through this. So we're in 1 Samuel chapter 25. Let's start off with verse 1. Now Samuel died and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. And they buried him in the house at Ramah. All right, so uh, to start this off, so Samuel dies. So Samuel was the high priest. He was the prophet uh, of Israel. He's the one who anointed uh, Saul to, to be the first king. And now he has died, and they buried him in his house. Now, I said in the first service, 8 o'clock service, I was like, I don't know what that means, buried him in his house. I mean, maybe they bulldozed the house on top of him when they buried him in it or whatever, ha, ha, ha. But we don't know. And so after first service was over, a woman from Nigeria comes up to me, and she says, all right, let me... Let me tell you a little bit about Nigerian culture. She said, in Nigeria, we bury them in the house. And so she said, my grandpa had his room off the house. They had dirt floors. My grandpa had his room off the house. When he died, we buried him in the floor, and we kept on. So grandpa is still at home. Uh, a little just something for you to consider as you consider end-of-life uh, things for your family. Um, you know, maybe something you'd like to practice. All right. So here you go. They bury him at his house at Ramah. Then David rose and he went down to the wilderness of Paran. And so he's trying to get away probably further still from Saul. And I didn't put the map up this morning. I apologize for that. So uh, what he does is he goes to the southernmost part of Israel. So if you're familiar with Israel a little bit, bordered on the western shore uh, by the Mediterranean Sea, bordered on the eastern side uh, by towards the North Sea of Galilee, South Dead Sea, uh, Jordan River becoming kind of a, a barrier there, a natural barrier. If you go all the way to the south of Israel, you start running into... Uh, northern Africa and Egypt. Uh, and so he goes down to what is the, the northernmost part of the Sinai Peninsula is where they would be. So he's hiding out in there trying to stay far away uh, from Saul who is hunting him to kill him. 
All right, so we're going to walk into something here, but what we will see develop here is what I would call a reasonable request. A reasonable request is about to come. All right, so there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now, the name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. All right, so uh, introduced to a couple of characters here, uh, Nabal and Abigail. So Nabal, uh, Nabal is a rich jerk. That's, that's exactly what he is. Uh, he's a Calebite. Now, it means either he was descended directly from uh, Caleb, like this is part of this uh, heritage, his family land, he's here, and he's become rich uh, through all of that being handed down, or he's such a jerk that they just call him a Calebite, because a Calebite was a derogatory term. And if you didn't like somebody and you thought they were harsh and snotty, you'd be like, Phew. That guy's a Calebite, right? It just became, <clears throat> can you imagine a whole people group? They're just all, they just all automatically, oh, they're gruff, they're difficult people, they're Calebites. Uh, but Nabal, uh, his, his name in Hebrew actually means foolish or senseless. Now, we can talk about what kind of parent gives their kid a bad name, but some of you have, would like to argue with your own parents over whatever name you have, or some of you parents did that to your kids, so, you know, that's on you. Um, but probably, probably they didn't name him Fool. Um, probably what it is is he had a different name, maybe in another language, the language of his parents, um, that sounded in Hebrew like the word for fool. Uh, maybe something like that. Uh, but anyway, that's his name. But he's a, he's a rich and arrogant jerk. Abigail, on the other hand, is just a, a beautiful and wise woman. And this is uh, a mismatched marriage. And you've met these people, right? You've met these people where you will see two people together and they're married. They're like, hey, this is my husband, this is my wife. And you're like, how did he get her? Like, that dude's got to be rich or something. Because <laughs> like, he's kind of a jerk and pretty ugly, you know, like, and she's amazing. Like, so how does this thing work out? So this is a mismatched couple. We're familiar with mismatched couples a little bit. Uh, let's read more about this couple, starting at verse four. So David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent 10 young men and David said to the young men, go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you and peace be to your house and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us and we did them no harm and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we have come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, David. All right, so let's talk about this a little bit. So we're not farmers, not, I don't think anybody in here is a farmer, uh, but we're not animal herdsmen either. You're like, we don't, we don't have uh, animals. So I have a friend, he raises animals in the Midwest. He's where I get my farming info. Uh, but this is what I do know. If you've ever seen a sheep before it's been shorn, uh, I mean, they've just got this wool just piled on it. It's like coming over the top of their head. It's just coming all off of it. So if you're a farmer, like raising crops, like almost all of your year is expense and cost. That's what it, like, like to, you've got to go prepare the land and then you've got to plant the land. You have to tend the land and, and care for it. Like all of that is just expense, 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 expense until harvest. And then harvest is your payday all at once. And you hope to get enough to cover the whole year and even some to prepare for the next year. So that's kind of how that goes. But if you're into animal husbandry, it's different. So with this now, same thing, you got to take care of these animals. They can't die because you're hoping what they will produce is, is what you need. And for him, it's wool. He's in the wool business. And so he's got these sheep. 
They're all getting all floofed out, and it is time uh, to harvest the wool. So it's a big job. And uh, like it, today, if you've ever seen it, uh, people do it. They get these big shears, and they just kind of, you know, and they buzz the sheep, and all this stuff just comes off in lumps. Uh, but back then, you know, it was with scissors and knives. And so I imagine uh, much harder for the uh, sheep herders or whatever, and uh, much less fun for the sheep probably as well. But uh, so either way, they're doing this. But here's what you have to know. When they're, when they're doing that, when they're taking the wool off these sheep, as it falls to the ground, that's money. Just, and the whole time you're just like, money, money, money. Just, and like, as other people are doing it, piles of money, just everywhere. That's what they're doing, dropping piles of money. Now, because it's such a big job, and he had 3,000 sheep, what you do is you would call in reinforcements. So when it comes time to shear your sheep, and everybody would coordinate, farmers will coordinate. But like, this is my week, this is the week where we're doing it. And so friends come, family come, they pack out your house, they're gonna stay with you probably the better part of that week while you're doing all this work, which means then that now you got a lot more mouths to feed. So the woman of the house, in this case, Abigail, she's got to make sure everybody's taken care of. And I don't know how many people are there. He's got a big farm, it sounds like a big operation. But she's got to manage all of this. And so she's got people baking, cooking, all, like all day long, they're doing this. Uh, taking care of everybody, because they know that night. But then at that night, it's celebratory, because they've spent all day making money. Just money, money, money. And so they got piles of wool, and it's all stacked up, uh, however they would do it back then. And it's a party that night. And so they would probably kill some sheep, and they cook them. And somebody probably got some musical instruments, so they're playing. He's breaking out the good wine. It's just a big party. So it is, it, that week is a feasting week. It's a fun week. So David knows this is going on, and we just heard some backstory. So we don't, again, we, we don't raise animals. So my friend out uh, in the Midwest, he's got uh, cows. And what he does is he has several pastures. And so the cows will stay in one pasture for a while, and then he opens up another pasture, and then he herds them into that. And then they stay in that pasture, and they eat in there for a while, and then he closes off the ones so they can't come back to it. Um, but in the old days, if you didn't have that kind of opportunity, your shepherds would just take your sheep, and they would just go in the wilderness. And they're looking for food and drink for their animals. That's what they're doing. Now, the problem with that, of course, is like there's no pins out there. There's no fences out there. When you're in the wilderness, you're in the wilderness. And you're always at risk, especially at night. Because at night, wild animals will come and they'll take uh, some of your, your sheep or goats or whatever you're herding. Um, I mean, I live in Spring Valley. We have coyotes in Spring Valley. They're like literally taking people's pets and, you know, rabbits and stuff like that. So like, it's a real, it's a real thing in the city of Columbia today in the 21st century, let alone back then. So that's a real risk. Uh, but then also people will come and they'd steal your stuff. they come steal your sheep. People would sneak in at night and carry off a sheep, uh, which I think would be funny to see, but that's another story. Um, so like, they would come steal stuff. And like, it's a thing. So they're out there in the wilderness as they're going around they run into David and his men so David and his men are out there and now remember David and his men he has 600 men and they're all soldiers and they are on the run from Saul and they're running for their lives and so probably it is very likely that they sleep in shifts they're alert all the time they're keeping their training up they know at any moment they could go into battle again in fact that's what they do they're kind of battle for hire or, or battle at will they'll go fight the Philistines or whoever's invading so like they're ready. And so they run into each other and this is just a beautiful relationship immediately occurs. There's these shepherds, they're kind of like wary and they run into these soldiers and the soldiers are like, listen, we're up all night anyway. We work in shifts and we're always afraid for our own lives. And so uh, it would be good for you guys if you just stayed with us, uh, just stay in our midst and we'll guard you too. And they're like, that is awesome. So they have this wonderful relationship. So after that's over, this is all going on. It's shearing time and David knows, time of feasting, time of fun. He's in good spirits. We helped him get there. Like you could actually say we've kind of earned him some of that money because we helped protect those sheep. He's got sheep bearing wool that might not have made it if we hadn't protected them. And so he just sends a note and he's so kind, kind about it. If you heard his words, I love it. He's like, listen, peace be to you. Peace be to your house. Peace be to all that you have. 
You get to the end of verse eight, and he says, please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, David. So last week when he was interacting with Saul, he called Saul father, father called David son. Now we talked about that can be familial, but it's not always familial that in the context of relationships, you could use it to show uh, a subordinate position. And that's what David is doing. He's introducing himself as a subordinate, just saying like, hey, I'm your son. Like I, I recognize you're the man, you're the top dog, you got the wealth, you got the land, you're the dude. I'm just asking. And he didn't even ask for a bunch. He sends 10 guys, 10 to represent his 600. He's not asking to feed 600 people. He's like, can you just give me a little bit of your blessing? Because David's got to figure out, how do I provide for these men? They're wandering the wilderness. They're not like making money. Uh, they've got to take, you know, whatever they can get. And so he's like, can you give us just a little handout? And actually, we've kind of done a service for you. And David might even be thinking, this could be an ongoing relationship. Like, we could take care of you guys all year long because we're out here. And maybe you could kind of help us out when you get a chance. So, so that's what he's thinking. So he just made a, a request. It's a reasonable and kind request. And what does he receive in return except a robust rebuke? Go to verse 9. So when David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. All right, so they waited because most of this work was done through emissaries. And so David would send some of his boys. So his boys would go in, and they would talk to some of Nabal's boys. And then they would hear the message, and then those boys would take the message back to Nabal. So that's what's going on. Verse 10. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who's David? Who's the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? Okay. Well, that's an interesting response. Now, clearly derogatory in all that he's saying. Like, who is David? Who's the son of Jesse? The son of Jesse. I mean, like, that's like when Saul used those same words, who's the son of Jesse? It was condemnatory. It's a put down. And so now he's using the same language. But even so, he's like, yeah, hey, there are many servants running away from their masters. So clearly siding with Saul to say, David's some sort of rebel. I side with Saul. I'm not, I'm not for you, dude. And, uh, and so he, he does a put down. But this is a harsh put down. But in case he's curious, we could remind him of who David is. Uh, David is the former general of the entire army of Israel. He is the kid who growing up would face wild animals barehanded or just a sling in his hand. David is the guy who when all of Israel's army was afraid, he all by himself went toe to toe with Goliath with only a sling. This is the guy who has led multiple campaigns against invading armies. This is your 200 foreskin guy, to reference a previous story. Uh, uh, this is a UFC prize fighter. I mean, this, this is a beast. This is a war hero. David is the man. Do you want to know who he is? That's who he is. And you know what else he is? He's the guy that can kick your butt. That's who he is. Uh, and this dude is just acting like he's got no clue about who David is or what's going on. And so he puts him down. So this is again what we continue to learn. Nabal is a certified jerk. That's what's going on. And if, can you imagine if you're one of his men? So you go to David, and you, like if you, especially if you'd been out there, David just shares, hey, peace to you, peace to your house, you know, all this kind of stuff. Hey, would you tell him his son David is here? Can I just have a little bit of your stuff? And if you're one of the guys who knows the story, you're thinking, David, dude, you're a great guy. You're a great, and you're the people that you're with. You're guys, you're great guys. Like you're generous, you're kind, you're like, we'll go tell him. So they go to Nabal, but they know Nabal. They know. They, they know who they work for. So they go to him, and you can just picture him in their head, like, okay, how do we say it? And I was like, okay, listen, the language is good. So they go to him, and they drop all this, hey, 
all this. Here's, David makes this request. And he's like, oh, he does, huh? I'll tell you what to tell David. And he gives them this put down. And you know, the messengers have got to be like, dude, are you serious? Like, really? You want me to go say this to him? And so they go back, and even as they're saying it, you know, their heart is just not in it. But they deliver this message. And you can almost see David's men like, huh, okay, okay, okay. We'll be glad to tell him exactly what you said. We'll see you soon. You know, so they leave, and uh, things get dark real quick. All right, so uh, after the big put down, let's go to uh, verse 12. So David's young men turned away, and they came back, and they told him all this. And David said to his men, every man strap on his sword. I mean, you want to talk about an immediate response. I mean, there's no like, well, did he mean, and do you think, what did I, he, they, just, they just drop it. They're like, hey, this is what he said. And he's like, all right, let's get armed and let's go kick some butt. That's what he's saying. And so everybody's like, all right, they're putting on their swords. No, understand what's about to happen. This is real life. This is not fake. This is not some moral story to encourage you. He is going to wipe out an entire farming community. That's what he's going to do. Because you think about this. These guys are, when I say seasoned, they have fought in many battles to the death. They have killed tons of people. And they're about to strap on swords and go fight farmers. Like, how do you think this is going to go? I mean, this is going to be such a quick battle. I mean, they're not even ready for it. They're going to come in and they're going to wipe out everybody. Because David has put up with worse from better men. But Mr. Nobody from the hills of nowhere is going to get no kind treatment. David is going to bring justice right now. That's what's going on. All right. Every man strapped on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. So somebody has to guard things so it doesn't get stolen while you're gone. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us, both by night and by day, all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. All right? They can talk to Abigail that way. She knows. She knows. So, and I mean, I'm just picturing this whole story here. So Abby, with all that she's got going on, right? She's got, I mean, managing a whole house. There's, I mean, there's women, children running everywhere, dudes everywhere. She's got, and she's like, you know how it is if you've ever seen mom take over a kitchen at like, you know, the holidays. And it's like, okay, we need to be doing this. And you got to put this in and we're going over here and you work on that. You know, like, so she's just got this whole going. And for, I mean, we don't know how many people, uh, 20, 30, 40, 50, hundreds of people. We don't know. Like she's managing a lot going on there. And so then the servant comes in, and in the midst of her chaos, he's like, hey, uh, Miss Abby, uh, we are going to die. You know, <laughs> your husband is a total jerk, and he is just offended. I mean, a beast of a man, a warrior, like David. He's just offended David. You know that boy's going to come kill us all, you know? And so, and this is, I love her response. You got to go check out her response here. So this is, this is great. As we start to move into this wrong redeemed, uh, go to verse 18. Then Abigail made haste. And took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five sayas of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. Now let's pause for a second here. Here's, here's what we're learning about Abigail right away. She's kind of a superhero. <laughs> she, 
I mean, she is sharp. She knows what to do. She's intelligent. I mean, like when this guy comes, you can almost see her just pause for a second and go, I like she's putting it all together. Like, yeah, that sounds like something Nabal would do. Absolutely. Yeah. You're going to die. Yeah. He's going to, he won't probably kill me, but he's definitely going to kill you. Uh, and so she's trying to process all this. And then immediately, all right, here's what we do. Grab this, grab that. Dude, you guys go get the donkeys. We're like, she just has this whole plan. And it reminds us too of just how many people she's preparing food for. Cause she's got 200 loaves of baked bread. You probably don't keep that much around your house, even in the holidays, right? So like she's feeding a whole ton of people in this farm community. And so all this going on, and she immediately like, let's reroute all this. Let's head out. I'll take care of it. So she is a sharp woman of action. And actually in many ways reminds me of David. David, here's what Nabal said. Everybody strap on your sword. Servant, hey, Abby, uh, we're going to die. She's like, all right, grab this, grab this, grab this, grab the donkeys. Like just the same woman of action. She is like, like a female version of, of David. All right, going forward. So she tells the young man, go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her and she met them. All right, let's just pause there uh, for a second. And I, we'll do a kind of a little brief aside here because I feel like there's something you need to hear today that I th- it's important for me to be reminded of. I think important for you to hear. Um, Evil people reap their own reward. Evil people reap their own reward. I want to let you know that. Because in your lifetime, if it's not current, it's certainly been past or is coming in your future, evil people are just going to end up in your orbit. And they are going to mean you harm and your family harm. And uh, and there's there's part of it where we just feel so helpless in the middle of it. Um, And I I want to remind you of this. Like God, God sees this. He hears this. One of the things we've got to make sure we do is we've got to stop living as though God is unaware or unsympathetic of what we're going through. Like he does, he sees it, he knows. I just don't want you to feel like he doesn't. Um, So for us, I had a story I've shared in here in the past, but we once lived next door to a wicked neighbor. I mean, just a wicked neighbor. He was a young man who was living in his grandfather's house. Uh, he was evil. He was taking advantage of his grandfather. Uh, and he would have his boys over there and his girlfriends over there. And they were just wicked to me and my family the whole time. Uh, they were mean-spirited. They were harsh. Um, my kids would come home from school, get out of their cars, and be cursed at as they were heading into the house uh, by the neighbor. Um, I remember one day uh, coming home and I came out and he and his boys were out smoking pot in, in the driveway, which they would just do openly every day. Uh, and then as I'm walking by, the, the kid of the home, this vile kid, goes, oh, there goes my racist neighbor as I'm walking by him. And I'm like, like dude, what, what have I ever done to you? Now, to be fair, I had called the cops on him a couple times, but you know. Uh, but I mean, like, he's just, he's just a jerk of a guy. And so, but now I'm wrestling with this, right? Because, you know, I mean, I love Jesus. And so, like, I really, I really wanted salvation. And legitimately, before the Lord, I tell you, I, I've prayed often. I've prayed many, many times uh, for his salvation. But I also prayed for his judgment. I'll be honest. Uh, and I didn't care which came first. Uh, I, just, I wanted, you know, something to happen to this kid. I didn't like him at all. Um, but then you're wrestling with this. Like, here's another thing I'm reminded of. I told my son this because my son and I would talk about it. And, of course, he, young man with testosterone, we were thinking the same kind of thoughts. Uh, and I, I was saying stuff like this. Like, here's the problem, son. Like, I have a lot to lose. Like, like I, not just to mention the fact that I serve as pastor of a church, but like, you know, I've got a name with people. I've got a name in the community. I've got my reputation. I love the Lord. Like, this 
Punk has nothing. Like, he's got nothing. He can be as whatever kind of jerk he wants to, as many people as he wants. He's got nothing to lose. I have a lot to lose. Uh, so I, it doesn't do me any good to go toe-to-toe with this guy. And I just kept telling my son over and over, evil people are going to reap their own reward. We're like, we're just going to let that go. So this is so odd. So sometime later, the kid is gone. He's out of the house. And uh, I run into a policeman, and I'm just having a random conversation with this police officer. And uh, I'm sharing a little bit of my story. He's sharing a little bit of his story. And he's telling me about this thing that just happened. He's like, oh, you're not going to believe this. He said, man, I arrested this dumb kid across town. He's, so he's telling me the story. And the kid got beat up by whoever he was dealing with, uh, had guns on him and drugs, and he's running him in. And so he's telling me all this story. And the more he starts talking about this kid, I'm like, I feel like I know this guy. I said, now, can I ask you a question? I said, just, can you share with me the guy's name? Now, it's a matter of public record once you're arrested. So uh, he said, oh, yeah. And so he tells me his name. And I was like, that's my former neighbor. Like, and I got to be honest. I mean, I, it's not that I was like, oh, I'm so sad for him. I mean, I just wanted to high five the, the Lord at that point. And, um, and the thing is, it just, it reminded me of this. And this is what I realized. It was, I swear, there's no other way this would happen. What are the chances? I mean, how often am I talking to a cop? Not very often, praise the Lord, right? But like, I'm having this conversation. He's telling me the story. Why would I even think it was that guy? I asked him, it is that guy. And it was a, a reminder to me of this, the sovereignty of God, the unseen hand of God that is still at work, though I can't see it. And that was God getting a message through to me to say and to remind you today, I see and I hear, don't act like I don't. But let me bring judgment in my time on my terms. And so that's where... Learned a lesson. I learned a lesson. Reminded of it. So that's what's going on here. Before we go forward, I just want you to know a reminder. God takes care of business. That's what we'll see. Verse 20. As she rode on the donkey, she came down under the cover of the mountain. Behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he has returned to me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David and more also. If by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. So David and his men are going in and their mission is we will kill every man or boy. We're going to wipe them all out. They're going to take out every male in his household. Verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and she got down from the donkey. She fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt, And from saving with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live." If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. 
And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. So this is, I mean, this is beautiful. Now, I want you to understand what she was saying to David. When she bows before David, first of all, the position she's putting herself in, of, of, of total humility, by the way, she bows down before him. She is at this point making herself an intercessor between judgment that's deserved and the wrath that's coming. Now, that's a very Jesus-like moment right there where she has a very Christ-like role where she, like our Lord has done for us, stands between our deserved judgment and the wrath of God. And so he offers himself as a substitute. That's what she's doing right here. She's offering herself as a substitute. But she can tell when she does this that he, he's listening to her. He's really listening to her. So she's winning his heart in this. But she tells him, David, you're, you're going to sin if you do this. And she says it in a very sweet way. Like, you need to avoid this blood guilt. Like, this is something that God will hold you accountable for. And I'm here, and I'm offering you a way out. I'll be your way out. I'm bringing you what you'd asked for, so you're going to receive that. So you can trust me that, that I'm in between us. You know he's worthless. I know he's worthless, and he's my husband. So, like, I totally get this. If you'll just listen to me, let me find favor in your eyes, and you just put all your wrath on me, although she knows he's probably not going to do that. Uh, and then she just offers herself. And, like, you know, would you please accept these terms? So now David has a, a choice to make, uh, but let's be honest. You have a, a beautiful and discerning woman bow down before you and ask for your mercy. She's probably going to find mercy. All right, uh, verse 32. And David said to Abigail, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, Unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him. And he said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice and I have granted your petition. So I love this because what David does is it's David basically tells her, you're right. I was out of control. I was super angry and I was about to do something that I would have regretted later. And you have kept me from doing that. So thank you. I receive your offering. You can go at peace. I'm going to stay my hand. We are not going to bring vengeance upon your house. We're not going to hurt anybody. So now, verse 36. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. Okay, so stop there for a second. So she comes back. After jumping into action, after literally just saving every male in that home from her jerk of a husband, and when she comes home, he's drunk. What kind of look do you think was on her face when she saw him? Wouldn't you like to see that? <laughs> That'd be fun to look at, I think, for just the contempt that she would have for this idiot of a husband that she is stuck with, right? I mean, just all that's going on in her. So, and then I love this too. So because he's drunk, uh, she decides to tell him nothing until in the morning. Now, I love this. So she's going to wait till the morning. So he's been very drunk. Now, um, I know we're a Christian crowd, so you guys don't know what a hangover is. But let me explain to you, uh, because I saw it in a movie one time. Um, <laughs> The next morning after you've had too much alcohol, you're not in great shape, right? You're, you're feeling a little rough. Your stomach doesn't feel right. Your head doesn't feel right. That's when she chooses to tell him. Like, she is a clever woman. She's like, you know what? Let's make sure that when I bring it, he understands. And so she waits till he's at his lowest moment and tells him, 
you almost died last night. I saved your life. And she drops the whole thing on him. All right. So in the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. And then you want to talk about the vengeance of the Lord. The, Lord, like the, the language is clear. The Lord struck Nabal. This is not just some coincidental type of thing. This is God bringing his judgment. So when we get frustrated with the evil people in our lives, all we're really negotiating with God is timing. That's what it's all about. Like, I want him to bring judgment in my time. But let's just all remind ourselves, God's timing is perfect. So when he does it, how he does it, we're going to trust him with that. But in this instance, he brought it pretty quickly. When David heard that Nabal had died, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal. And has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Then David went and he spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us to you to take you to him as his wife. And she rose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey. And her five young women attended her. She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahanom of Jezreel, and both of them became his wives. Saul had been given uh, Michael, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was of Galim. All right, so a really neat story right up until the last part. You're like, oh, they come together, now he gets a wife, it's good. And then it's like, oh, he's got other wives. Well, that's a polygamous culture, so we're just going to, we'll let that go as it is. It's still a beautiful story. She's still in a much better situation, married to the future king. Uh, so that's all good. All right, so in the midst of this, uh, we do learn some lessons here. We learn some lessons. So I think um, of the lessons learned, if we're going to try and apply these stories, one lesson I think we learn is probably this. Uh, please listen to smart women. That, that's the first thing I would say. It's like, you know, if you've got a woman in your life and she's like, honey, you're acting a bit irrational. Like I get women, like we've got this testosterone thing that we wrestle with and we're out of control. Like it's just, it consumes us sometimes. And if you've got teenage boys and you're like, what is wrong with our kid? Just ask your husband. He can tell you. Uh, in fact, there's still a part of that in us. It's just, it takes over. You go nuts and you just got to kind of let's blow up a little bit. And then when we smooth back out, then you can speak some reason to us. And it's always like this. We'll fight you on it. You're wrong, but do it do i'm a man you're a woman you understand and then we pull back we go dang she's right uh and so then we have to come back and go i'm sorry oh, i got a little control you know this kind of thing so maybe that's one lesson but if nothing else i would say this if not just the smart women at least listen to wise people because this is a, a, i'm convicted of this that that oftentimes in the voice of the wise is the voice of god so listen to the voice of the wise listen to the voice of the wise I think uh, maybe, though, the big lesson out of all this is the sovereignty of God. That God is always in control whether or not we're aware of it or even acknowledge it. God is sovereignly always in control, which means then that we have to trust in divine justice. Trust in divine justice in God's time, not our time. Uh, there's an encouragement to us in the book of Romans chapter 12. Romans 12 says this, starting in verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So just like last week when we're hearing this turn the other cheek thing, it's like, 
you've got all these yeah buts. <laughs> well, yeah, but, but what if, and what if, and like, I, okay, just, I, let's just let this marinate a bit. We're just gonna trust that God's got a message here for you. Now, this is not a comment on whether or not you can call the police on somebody or, or whether or not you can defend yourself if somebody breaks into your home. Like, this is not that. This is that longstanding enemy who's in your life like my neighbor. And you've just got to trust God through the process. Uh, that's a hard thing to do. Maybe something that makes it easier is to remember this. That at one time, we too were enemies of God deserving judgment. And yet in his mercy, he showed us grace. So let's trust that God can do the same even with the enemies in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for that reminder this morning that no matter who's in our life, these people that we would describe as enemies, that it's very possible, Lord, that you have a plan for them that also involves their redemption in Christ. And if so, Lord, may it come and may it come quickly. Uh, But Father, if these are just evil and wicked people, then let it be this. We will withdraw our hand and even our thoughts from trying to inflict judgment on these people. And we'll allow you to be God while we'll just be people of faith. We thank you in your holy name. Amen.